Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that raise money and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Cause Marketing Forum and Selfish Giving. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at CauseUpdate.com and SelfishGiving.com. Now on to today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Joe Waters and I want to welcome you to another episode of Cause Talk Radio. And of course, I'm here with the queen of cause, Megan Strand. Hey Megan. (gasps) I got a new title. You got a new title. Well, I hear with all the snow and ice and rain you're getting out there, it's more like an ice princess, I think, (laughs) right now, right? That too. Yeah. But the person on the line today, they have no problems with the weather. They're in Southern California, and on the line is Dr. Lisa Cavanaugh, and she is a professor at the University of Southern California's Marshall School of Business. Hey, Lisa, how's the sunshine in there? Hi, Joe. Hi, Megan. Uh, it is uncharacteristically rainy today. Oh, uh, so I feel so bad for you. you. I know, I what, are their, what are their like two days a year they get rain? <laughs> mm, we need it, though. We need it. Oh, yeah. yeah you need for a board. Sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we are on the line today. We actually came across this great article in the Wall Street Journal that mentioned a new paper that you and some friends have put out called When Doing Good is Bad in Gift Giving. I just love that title, Mispredicting Appreciation of Socially Responsible Gifts. Now, I have a quick question for you, Lisa. All right. And now, just reading this title, I said to myself, does this pertain to the present that Megan sent me this year? Okay. Now, <laughs> what it was, Lisa, is she was sent me- in a box? No, she sent me an eight and a half by 11 picture of herself. Okay. <laughs> and on the frame, it said, no trees were harmed in the making of this frame. <laughs> Is is that is is that a socially responsible gift that I would appreciate? Is this the essence of what you're talking about in this paper? Well, there, that example definitely prompts a few different questions. But... <laughs> For me the, too. The, the the first of which um, is one: How close are you and Megan? You oh, know, I know it's a little hard. Oh, you're right here. You're inseparable. Talking to each other. inseparable. Okay. Work wife. Work wife, and, so, I, and I'm the work wife. She's the work husband. <laughs> so, with that high level of relationship closeness, she is on solid ground, yeah. um, giving you a more socially responsible gift. Uh, and if you were more distant in your relationship, mm-hmm. um, kind of below average in, in relationship closeness, that may have proven more problematic as a gift. Mm, that's interesting. It's kind of like I was thinking about you today, Lisa, because I got a like a belated holiday email from an agency today. And they said, you know, happy holidays, happy new year. And a gift in your name has been made to X organization. And I guess I kind of felt like... That doesn't feel very special. Meh. <laughs> well, then that really hits the mark as to what we found with our research as ah, well. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm talk, glad, I'm glad to hear about of, that. <laughs> talk a little bit about the high point. So basically, we we live in an era today where it's, you know, buy one, give one, and everyone's yeah, no. giving socially right. responsible gifts, and it seems like such a lovely thing to do. But what your research found is that potentially that uh, giving is more of a gift for the giver than the receiver in some instances. So tell, give us the high level here, and then we'll dig into that a little bit. Certainly. So we were you know, really interested in this idea of those gifts that support a worthy cause, or you know, some people will talk about gifts that give twice. 
And that could be a social responsible gift, like a charitable nation in a recipient's name, like the one that Joe just mm -hmm. described. And the thing that's kind of interesting about this is we know that, that consumers have demanded or kind of urged a lot of different companies to offer more products and services that would allow them to kind of do good, mm -hmm. do something positive for the world around them. Um, and we know that people like to give these types of gifts. And there's been a lot of popular press articles showing that people are enjoying in the increase in people um, giving these, the, the rate at which people give these as gifts to others has mm -hmm. grown measurably, which sounds like a great thing. Uh, the thing that really interest, interested us about this question of you know, giving socially responsible gifts was, well, we know people like to give them. But importantly, in a gift-giving exchange, do people actually enjoy receiving them? Mm. And, and that was kind of where the real rub was. And what prompted you to even dig into this research? You talked to, about it just a second ago, having just a question about, you know, is this working for everyone involved? But I guess just more generally, what interested you in, in this field and just researching this type of relationship and gift giving? Certainly. A couple things. First and foremost, um, I, along with my co-authors, Francesca Gino at Harvard and Gavin Fitzsimmons at Duke University, uh, all three of us enjoyed giving these types of gifts. <laughs> and in fact, uh -oh. much like, much <laughs> like Joe mentioned, we um, had given these types of gifts to each other and, and, then, and then started talking a bit more about what was it that we were trying to, to communicate in giving these gifts. Uh, and was it conscious or a non-conscious process that may be driving it? And, and what type of inferences might that gift recipient be making based upon our choices of gifts for them? And so that was one part of it was kind of out of a personal, we, we joke about research sometimes turning into me-search, mm -hmm. right? trying yep. to understand our own behavior uh, mm -hmm. and how it affects those around us. And then the second piece is that I um, might my professional life before um, going on to my PhD at Duke University was working in Washington, D.C. for Share Our Strength, um, working with you know, some great people there and having worked in cause-related marketing and helping to launch programs and, and also seeing different things positioned as, hey, give a donation to this charity or to this nonprofit organization um, as a way of giving back and, and also giving a gift that someone will appreciate. And the question became, is that the most effective way, not only to help a charity or a cause, um, but also what does that do to the relationship? What does mm -hmm. that do? And does it matter what type of relationship you have um, with, with people um, to whom you're giving those types of gifts? And that's really the, the key insight uh, and finding from our paper is that the extent to which those socially responsible gifts are appreciated largely depends on relationship closeness, mm -hmm. um, how and, and that determines the extent to which that prediction of how much appreciation would, um, would be experienced varies dramatically. If, you know, you're, you are close with someone and you give them one of these socially responsible gifts, they're likely to appreciate it just as much as some other tangible gift. But if you're kind of below average in relationship closeness, maybe someone you see frequently but, but don't know particularly well, um, gift givers tend to overestimate appreciation of those gifts. Mm. They're not only... Not only do they overestimate appreciation of those gifts, but they're actually more likely to choose those gifts over other types of alternatives. They really think that giving a socially responsible gift would be the best choice. And in reality, it turns out that recipients in those types of relationships are the least likely to be appreciating them. Wow, that's so interesting. You know, you wrote, um, uh, Lisa, in the Wall Street Journal where they quoted you, even though we may try to be thoughtful, there's a tendency to see gifts we give through our own eyes. And, you know, I guess one of the things I'm thinking there is like, 
is there any way for us to, de- you know, I mean, do we need to develop more empathy to be uh, better gift givers to people? Or do we just need to be more knowledgeable of our own selfishness <laughs> to make yeah. better gift decisions? I think a large part of you know what what this phenomena falls into is a larger phenomena of a perspective taking failures. Mm-hmm. So this in a, this tendency to obviously see the world in a, a fairly egocentric way, or mm-hmm. to look at the world through our own eyes and assume that other people share our thoughts, our beliefs, our perspective, or we'll be thinking the same things or inferring the same motivations that drove us to make that choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, When in reality, um, you know, you're likely to make the effort or have a better ability to perspective take or have a shared perspective with someone you're really close with. But for someone who you're socially distant from, there's a much greater likelihood that there's going to be a failure in perspective in Mm -hmm. large part because you may be thinking about okay, this is a great gift because it will signal that I care about the world around me, mm-hmm. that I think they care about the world around them. And we tend to like people who are p- more pro-social. Um, mm-hmm. We prefer them as relationship partners. So we might be thinking we're doing a good thing, a win-win all the, you know, all around for uh, myself, the gift recipient and the charity. And in reality, that gift recipient isn't taking, you know, does not, is not motivated to take the perspective of, of that gift giver and is much more likely to infer, okay, what were they trying to say about themselves? Clearly this wasn't about me. They Mm. also don't necessarily have those same emotional benefits accrue to them by receiving because by Mm. choosing a, 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 a donation in Megan's name to help save the rainforest, you know, I've kind of felt that emotional bump from that. Mm Mm-hmm. But as the recipient of that donation, um, it seems that those same emotional benefits don't accrue in the same way. Uh, you're, just like, you're just like an afterthought. So it, we were joking earlier before we hit the record button that Michael Norton had done this great talk at Cause Marketing Forum last year about giving and happiness and that giving does make us happier and spending money on others makes us happier. But it just turns out that that's only the case if you're buying a gift for somebody else. So you should mm-hmm. do that, but maybe just for yourself. You know, the question, <laughs> you know, what I think though, Lisa and Megan is, I guess what I'm trying to understand too about the study is, isn't what you're saying though, Lisa, true with all lousy gifts in the sense like, you know, I mean, you get something, you know, and it's like, you know, you live in Florida and someone's sending you mittens and hats and, and, and uh, jackets and stuff like that. And you're kind of like, I don't need this type of clothing. You know, what are they thinking? They're they're not really thinking about me. They're thinking about themselves. Or Did you have a about- bad gift category? Like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> like totally inappropriate gifts. Well, the, the thing that was kind of interesting with our study, and I think there's a kind of a two-part answer to that. So the, the short answer is yes, in that the phenomena that we document in mm. this paper um, certainly extends beyond the context of, let's say, donations in someone's name mm-hmm. to charity. Um, this, this failure in perspective taking and this failure to recognize what that gift is symbolizing (laughs) to that other person uh, and how much that might be perceived as symbolizing commitment to that relationship varies um, quite a bit in terms Mm -hmm. of the inferences that are made by the giver and the recipient in that gift exchange. Uh, The the second part um, is a a little bit more interesting in that when this idea of a lousy gift, when we decided to kind of test our our uh, hypotheses and, and see whether or not our, our predictions um, really, you know, came to bear. We found that even when people were choosing from relatively mundane gifts, so to give you a little bit more context for some of these studies, yep. we intentionally chose and 
gifts, uh, sets of gifts that people would choose from in our experiments, that they weren't great gifts that like, oh my gosh, this is the most creative gift I've ever seen right. versus a donation in, um, to a charity. Um, some of the other gift options available were a travel mug, a ballpoint pen, um, a USB flash drive. So fairly mundane gifts. All good fairly gifts I've given through the years. <laughs> fairly utilitarian <laughs> gifts, right? So, but but not necessarily something that that's that's a piece of jewelry that's super expensive or that somehow is really creative, and therefore that you say, oh, I well, I can I would expect that if it was between you know, the best gift in the world that someone could imagine versus a donation in someone's name. These were relatively mundane gifts. Not that they're bad gifts, but they're right. not great gifts. Mm. Right. We'll talk a little bit about, because there was one study that you did in which you were looking at which gifts people would choose for other people. And speaking of the coffee mug, that seemed to be like one of the more popular choices, right? <laughs> Even right. compared to, to socially responsible gifts. How did, how did socially responsible gifts fare across the board in terms of a gift giver's choice? So people across all different relationship types and uh, different types of socially responsible gifts versus traditional gift options chose those socially responsible gifts about 40% of the time, which I, we thought was a really That's remarkable statistic. Yeah. And, and that was across multiple studies that we did both with, you know, we do some studies on our campuses with undergraduate and graduate students, but we also do studies with general population you know, people from 18 to 80. Um, and that's kind of the number on average uh, that that came out. Now, this is um, typically these were gifts that were being chosen um, that were in the kind of 25 to $50 range. So this wasn't necessarily an anniversary gift for your spouse, <laughs> or, um, you know, your, your mom's, um, you know, 50th birthday, it wasn't kind of a, a big milestone event. Um, these were, you know, for a birthday for a friend or a colleague uh, or a neighbor sort of uh, types of gifts. And then how did the coffee mug fare compared to those? Oh. <laughs> I, remember, I remember thinking like, wow, that coffee mug was high. Compared mug to... was really popular. So <laughs> That's the... what you're getting, Joe. Yeah, what, kind of, stuff... what kind of coffee mug was this? <laughs> <laughs> so in one of our studies, it was a travel mug. There was 16 ounce, <laughs> functional, simple in its design. Um, and, you know, your kind of typical day-to-day coffee travel mug um was chosen about 35 percent of by 35 percent of the people in uh in one of our studies wow 35 compared to 40 percent so see that should be the headline for this post (laughs) social responsible gift only five percent more appealing than a coffee mug There you have it. I wrote your title for you. Uh, yeah, that's that's great. <laughs> now we have it. Yeah. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about um you've you've published another paper this year that I feel like we have like a resident cause marketer from a former life on the line who's now turned researcher and you've done some other interesting studies that I think would be applicable to our listeners. Can you talk us through that other paper that came out this year? I'd be happy to. Uh, so the uh, the other paper I think you're referring to, Megan, uh, is a paper that's titled Feeling Love and Doing More for Distant Others. Um, and it looks at how specific emotions that we experience, so feelings of love or hope, pride, amusement, gratitude, how that kind of we we tend to lump all of those emotions into a category of being positive, uh, but what my research has found uh, is that those specific flavors of emotion of positive emotion differentially affect prosocial consumption. So the extent to which people are willing to give money and resources to um, different charities that might be local or national versus international. Mm-hmm. 
And the, the, the neat part of, about what that paper shows is that, you know, while positive emotions generally cause people to be pro-social, uh, positive affect, positive emotion generally makes people do more for close others, you know, people that they know, people they're familiar with, only love, uh, the specific emotion of love, not hope, not pride, not even compassion, will uh, generate more pro-social behavior towards distant others, um, mm-hmm. people who are they've never seen, they've never met. And that has a lot of interesting implications for people who have ever been in charge of fundraising and figuring out what to put in that donation appeal letter or are putting an ad in a magazine and trying to figure out what imagery to use or what emotional tone to set. That that emotional tone that's chosen can have really dramatic uh, downstream consequences for the amount of money that's given, particularly when that that cause or the target beneficiary, uh, let's say you're a university and you want to raise money, not you know you want to raise money not just for you know students who are familiar to the donors, but maybe you know an, an international scholarship fund or for growing some program that's not going to manifest for another 10 years. How do you get people to care about people that they're less familiar with, that they've never seen, that they've never met? Um, and, and then knowing that these flavors of emotion that they're experiencing can have dramatically different effects on their propensity to give, I think is a really important insight. That's so interesting because there was another study that came out, I'm sure you're familiar with this too, about basically donation appeals and people are more likely to give if they're told the story of one child, let's say, versus some sort of statistic or picture of, you know, thousands and millions of child's children starving somewhere. So I wonder if that has the correlation that they've somehow effectively communicated or evoked the the emotion of love Mm -hmm. showing a picture of a single child. Is that... Do those two things go hand in hand somehow? No, it's that's really interesting research. Um, the work on the identifiable victim effect yes. uh, is what you're describing, Megan, and that's work See, by. She has all the good terms, Joe. I, don't <laughs> I know. love like, that. There's some study. <laughs> so Deborah Small at um, at Penn at Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania uh, and, and her colleagues have done some really great work on this concept of the identifiable victim and how that changes people's likelihood of giving. And one of the things that's really interesting that that prompted me to look at a lot of work on uh, on victims, obviously, even by using the word victim, tends to evoke a, a negative connotation mm-hmm. or negative affect. We're thinking about people's suffering. And the interesting part about my work in Washington, D.C. with my colleagues is that we oftentimes were trying to use positive emotional themes, mm, right. um, not necessarily getting people to feel sad or guilty um, or angry, um, which are other emotions you can use to prompt action. Right. And so that's, um, they're, they're certainly not mutually exclusive. Um, they, they, I think they inform a, a larger phenomena of when do people care? When are people most likely to feel connected to a, a cause or to a potential beneficiary in this case, a, a victim of, um, of some tragedy. Um, and in other cases, you can kind of actually abstract from victim of tragedy to think about who's going to benefit and when, when will people and to whom will people give? And so those kind of, th- those questions are what unite those two bodies of research. And you know, that makes sense, Megan. Yeah, no, thank you. That's, you know, I think that's fascinating too. And I remember, uh, Megan and Lisa, there was a study a couple of years ago that talked about how people responded to, um, imagery around causes on different devices, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's a mobile device or 
or an iPad. And, and, and what they found, which was interesting, is the smaller the device, the more difficult it was to evoke um, you know, sadness and other types of emotions on there. Whereas things like happiness or laughter or what, you know, in the, in the positive stuff you were talking about, Lisa, that was actually easier to do on say mobile devices compared to like doing it on a desktop, you know, and oh, it, w- it kind of informed people just in the sense like, look, you know, if you did, you know, if you're sending a message to people and they're primarily opening it on their, their iPhone or their portable device, you know, you really have to kind of think about what you're sending to them and what you're really trying to pull because the smaller the screen, the more difficult it is to be, to connect with people emotionally, uh, which I thought was very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. How, How do you, I mean, that seems like such a tall order though to evoke love. I know. Especially when it's a disconnected community. That's right. So did did you have any findings that would help people practically on how how to do that or uh, how yeah. those emotions were were evoked in people? Absolutely. So, so one of the things that's really interesting about our findings is that this idea of how love then influences distant others, it doesn't necessarily have to be love felt for those distant others. It can be love felt for close others that then carries over into or spills over into the behavior. And Hmm. and the process by which that works is that the key mechanism why love actually ends up causing people to give more to distant others is that people feel more socially connected. They broaden their Mm. sense of caring and concern to include a larger sphere of people, regardless of relatedness. So you can actually prompt love by showing, you know, images of a father and a child, a mother and a child's um, friends together. So it could be, you know, anything that makes people reflect on those feelings of social closeness yeah. with with a loved one. Right. Uh, but the interesting part is that that feeling can spill over into that giving behavior. So it doesn't necessarily have to be imagery or even verbiage about that intended beneficiary to have the desired effect. Interesting. Yeah, That's that- why the Dove Super Bowl dad and kid ad was so pop- popular last year. <laughs> That's <laughs> you it. Remember that one? That's it. It's like, yes. oh, everyone's crying. Yeah. Yes, the Met- Dove Men Care. Yes. I- and there's very few commercials that I show in my classroom of – college undergraduate students that make students cry. And in that case, when I turn the lights back up, men and women, young men and women in my classroom who are, you know, put the lights back down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and it's something that we've talked before with that guest too, Lisa, is persuasion really occurs through identification, is that when people can identify with the concerns, the beliefs, the attitudes of the people they're being asked to help, they're much more likely to give. Yeah. And, it, and that's, I mean, if you think about what we were talking about perspective taking before and the ability to kind of put themselves in someone else's shoes to switch that perspective or to feel as if they are that person or to be able to put themselves in the shoes of another person requires um, that, that perspective. Right. I want to go back to the first study quickly, just, just as a, to have a takeaway on our way out here today, because let's say you are a nonprofit and you have, you know, gifts as an option for other people during the holidays. Maybe it's a big, maybe your world vision and you have, you know, one of these big pushes around the holidays for gift giving or your social enterprise. And that's, you know, how you're selling your soaps that happen to be socially responsible is around the holidays. What advice do you have for people in that situation where 
you know, gift giving may not be the most socially responsible or may not may evoke the most feelings of happiness in, in the receiver. What, what types of things are you suggesting or would you suggest to them? I think two, one, you know, taking a cue from, um, Joe's selfishgiving.com is choose go. those gifts, choose those gifts for yourself. You know, mm. A pound you of self-interest combined with a <laughs> teaspoon of idealism. <laughs> so, so go ahead and buy those gifts, support Oxfam, support these social enterprises. They're great, great groups. Um, and, you know, do that for yourself or do that for someone who you are socially close with. Mm. That, that relational closeness is, is very high like between yourself and Joe, mm-hmm. go ahead and give those donations in that person's name. They will appreciate that social responsible gift just as much as a, um, a tangible gift. But if you are trying to encourage people to give these gifts, if you want to make both the giver and the recipient happy um, and, and appreciative, you're going to want to you know steer them in the direction of giving those gifts to people who they are close with rather than people who that they, they don't know as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tend to want to give these as corporate gifts. And if you have a really great client relationship, you know, client vendor relationship, and you are socially close, that might work. But I have heard from multiple friends, some people who come in and speak at my classes, even neighbors who work for some of the big entertainment companies around town when they saw some disastrous things that have happened uh, after giving donations in someone's name, um, including one getting laid off the following year. So (laughs) 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 he he saw the Wall Street Journal article and he said, Lisa, I have a story to share with you. Oh boy! And I didn't even know about his experience before the paper came out. So uh, oh but, it was, but it was yeah. definitely one worth worth. Yeah. Uh, so the message is use your freaking head and your heart <laughs> when making gift giving decisions. <laughs> hey, well, I think this has really helped for Megan and me and our gift giving. You know, I mean, this is, you know, I, my birthday's in September and, and, you know, I have oh, next geez. December to look forward to. I have no idea when uh, Megan's birthday is, exactly. but, but. Uh, but, you know, now I can say, hey, remember Lisa's conversation and think about that when you're giving me gifts. <laughs> That's right. Because it's all about Joe. Well, we do so appreciate having you on today, Lisa. This has been absolutely fascinating. And I hope we can have you on in the future to discuss yeah. future research because I know you are uh, in the thick of some some right now. So thanks so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about you or some of these studies online if they'd like to do so? Oh, I, I would love that. Um, best place to find out more information about the research or about me is my website, lacavanaugh.com. Excellent. And we will put that in the show notes so you can have links to all of this great research that Lisa has done. And how about you, Joe? Where can people find you online? Well, minute to minute, they can find me talking to you and the rest of the cause marketers out there on Twitter at Joe Waters. You can also check me out at SelfishGiving.com for my weekly posts and podcasts. And also check out Pinterest where I have over, I don't know, something like 4,000 pins now related to cause-related marketing organized by types and kinds. Uh, So I know Megan spends all her time on Pinterest, on my Pinterest board, so you should too. What about you, Megan? Where can people find you? I'm also online on Twitter at Megan Strand, and I tweet for the Cause Marketing Forum at TweetCMF. You can find show notes for today's episode at CauseUpdate.com as well as SelfishGiving.com. And of course, you can find Cause Talk Radio on iTunes. Please do subscribe to the podcast while you're there so you don't miss an episode. And on behalf of Lisa and Joe and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Cause Talk Radio, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>